0: Any questions about the material of last time? Where's Dr. E.S.? There he is.
1: I'll
0: wait until I'll wait you're settled, then I'll talk to Dr. Yes, Nancy. Nancy's talking about reading the Psalms, *Ecc prosopu Christu*, yeah. from the face of Christ. Yeah. Go ahead, Nancy. Could
1: could you um uh, direct us to something that w- where the, the church fathers talk about this? This is, this is so novel to me. I, I, it's confusing to me and uh, <coughs> if I were to tell this to my <coughs> Protestant friends they'd say well, well he's just making that up where does he sell? okay
0: everybody follow that question
1: yeah. mm-hmm. yes sir no. okay.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure I would start with the fathers of the church I think I would start with the New Testament and where you actually see Christ making those words his own. He does that, for example, on the cross. Twice on the cross. He makes his own, the voice of the 21st Psalm, Hebrew 22nd Psalm. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is half Aramaic, half Hebrew. He mixes the two languages there together. He's clearly doing it there. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, where he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's from Psalm 30. He, makes, he takes the voice of the psalmist and makes it his own. I would start from there. If you're looking for someone who, who examines that from the fathers in the church, I would start with the fathers' of the church. I would start where where we've been on the Wednesday night classes, and send people to three works of Justin Martyr, which are available, very available online. You got them on your phone, you know. He says uh, uh, Aziza's probably got it on her phone, you know. And if he doesn't, she'll put it on there. With illustrations, uh, in the first and second apologies of Justin Martyr, and in his his dialogue with Trifl the Jew, he he explores explores that many places. We've taken some of them in the Wednesday night class. He introduces the expression prosopon, which literally means face. It's a technical expression used for the mask on in the theater. he he adopts that and applies it to the voices in the scriptures in the Psalms in Isaiah and so forth trying to find who is actually talking here sometimes he says it's the Father and then he cites examples where it is the Father as in as in Psalm 2 you are my son this day have I begot you second psalm as the voice of the father other places it's Christ sometimes ourselves talking to the father about Christ so okay. oh Lord in thy strength the king shall rejoice uh, we're talking to the father about Christ we're sometimes talking to Christ about the father um, now that's, that's the father of the church that inaugurates that. What's most interesting here from a perspective of the history of theology is not just that the whole church, all the fathers of the church, east and west, took that approach of Justin, but they took his vocabulary. And that became the vocabulary of Trinitarian. And incarnation theology. Eventually, the fathers of the church, the great fathers of the, of, the, of the fourth century Basil, Gregory, John Chrysostom, they used that expression, prosopon, to make to reference to three pros, prosopa in the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Justin in is in, in taking this approach to Scripture. Is actually giving the church the vocabulary that the church would use in the development of its considered theology. So that, so that word already appears in Nicaea in 325, Constantinople in 381, Ephesus in 431, Chalcedon 451, and so forth. They, they adopted his, his, his vocabulary. Um, the person who extends this in Latin. It is not clear to me that Tertullian had read Justin Martyr, but he may have. But it's interesting that Tertullian gives us an almost identical vocabulary in Latin. He uses the word persona. Persona is the Latin equivalent of prosopon. It's, it's the mask in the theater. And we still use that expression in theater, do we not? Okay. Where you have the page marked "dramatis personae." I mean, look at look at your your, your old critical editions of Shakespeare. Um, I'm thinking of the of the, the Kroger editions, uh, no, no, the Folger Folger editions. Look at the Kroger's grocery store. Well, Folger's actually Folger's actually coffee too, but anyway, they Use the word persona. In fact, you even hear it speaking through persona. The, the sound coming through the mask. Now, that, that's the vocabulary that's used okay, for Trinitarian theology. As it turns out, the Latins did more with this than the Greeks did. You're not going to get Greeks to admit to anything they, they might have gotten. They, they don't, but, but in fact, the Latins were doing this before the Greeks were, uh, the, uh, particularly with respect to Christology. Because the same Trinitarian language that was used at Nicaea and Constantinople became the same language that was going to be used at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 to speak of Christ. Having one one prosopon, one person, with two natures. Where, Where did the Council of Chalcedon get that? They got it from the Tomos, that was sent to Flavian of Constantinople by the Pope of Rome, Leo I. And Leo develops that extensively through his sermons. Where did Leo the Great get that? From Augustine of Hippo. The one the, one the Orthodox are reluctant to read, for some reason, rather, goes. And therefore, they don't read him, and therefore, the, when they criticize him, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of really poor theologians uh, like Father John Romanides, who taught for years at, 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 uh, at uh, the, uh, the seminary, Holy Cross seminary. He taught for years and, and sort of poisoned many orthodox clergy toward Augustine. But without Augustine, without Augustine, it's inconceivable we would have had the Council of Calcedon. Uh, He's the one who gave the vocabulary to, to, to Leo. Leo sent it over to Flavian of Constantinople. Well, that's how it gets to the Council of, of, of Chalcedon. Um, if you want to know more about that, the best book on that subject that I can think of is a book called Reclaiming the Atonement, Volume 1. <laughs> Who's the
1: author? Um,
0: some obscure, some obscure <laughs> parish priests <Yeah>. in Chicago. <laughs> okay. But I examined that, I examined that in the, in the early chapters of that book. Now, with respect to a much more ample treatment of the fathers on this very subject, I refer you to a book called *The Birth of the Trinity*. I recommended that book on Wednesday night, did I not? <laughs> hmm? uh, it'll come to me in a minute, but my my head is. My my last living cell in my brain gave out shortly after communion this morning. <laughs> okay. But it's called the Birth of the Trinity. I got Father Wober to read it. That, however, is a is an extensive book where he traces he traces how the fathers of the church, through their interpretation of who's talking in Scripture, come to this notion of three persons in the Trinity who dialogue with one another. Yes, yes, Bill.
1: Father well, Pat, before I became Orthodox and before I became Presbyterian, when I was evangelical, an um, I was blessed in many ways knowing Christ. But I remember that when they found Christ in certain Psalms, those Psalms are called Messianic Psalms. Just a few of them. The rest were not Messianic Psalms. They all referred only to David.
0: Yep. That, that, of course, that's, that's, that's Luther that's Luther. Luther, yes, and, Luther
1: and you know it didn't make sense to me when I started studying this in college and you know Jesus said like you point out many times that he, the law, the prophets, and writings all talk of Christ life, death, resurrection and the preaching of the gospel to the nations
0: so not was, not just once in a while
1: yeah yeah. So
0: that isn't just Protestant by the way Roman Catholics were taught the same thing oh really? Oh yeah. Wow. Roman Catholics thought exactly the same thing. They talked about messianic Psalms, as well the others were not messianic.
1: Mm. And Jesus is saying the whole of the writings is messianic, the whole Old Testament is Messianic. So then you say ask, what forms is Christ portrayed here, there, everywhere. And you can just you just read like David, rejected as king, um, wandering, and then coming back as king. You see death and resurrection and glorification. And then when that's when that's sung about or portrayed or talked about in the Psalms, it's it's Christ.
0: Bill, the the whole thrust of biblical studies changed dramatically in the early eighties. After you were in seminary. Um, my training my early training in biblical studies was all the the historical critical method
1: mm-hmm.
0: i don't i don't lament that at all not a not a bit but when i think back on it some of my, some of my teachers really had a fairly impoverished understanding of scripture i don't i don't i'm in favor of the historical critical method i'm in favor of it i mean i just, that's why they taught us languages. That's why I took courses on Egyptian pottery. <laughs> took courses on Canaanite calendars. <laughs> learned all about the Hittites and, and so forth. So I learned all the dates of the kings of, of Israel and of Judah and, and all the, I learned the geography and it was all very important. But I, but I remember when I was at the Biblical Institute and I was a student there, I'm probably not going to get to my Psalms this morning. <laughs> probably not going to get there. Don't worry about it. I think I probably have told you that story. When when, when I was at the Bible Institute. By my second year, I was craving to know something about God. I mean, we were studying the Bible very intensely. But God was never mentioned. There was a slight reference to Jesus as somebody who had actually lived, you know, but, but we were taking, we were taking languages, I took Syriac, taking, taking courses in archaeology and things like this, and my soul was drying up from not hearing anything about God and Jesus and the church and the mysteries of the sacraments and things of the sort. So what did I do? I started cutting classes at the Biblical Institute. Right across the street and down a little bit was the Gregorian University, where they taught theology classes. In particular, there was a professor there by the name of Juan Alfaro, a great Jesuit theologian, Sp- Spaniard, of course, Juan Alfaro. So what I did is started cutting my classes at the Biblical Institute, so I could go and take theology classes or the Gregorian University. And that was going along fine. But then it came to exams. (laughs) I was just auditing the classes in theology. I wasn't trying to get a degree in theology. I wasn't auditing the classes at the biblical institute. And I knew eventually I'd have to take exams. And, you know, I'm kind of stupid. You probably have noticed that. At the last minute, I thought, oh, I've got to take exams in these courses I'm not taking. I was very concerned about my oral exam in Old Testament history. Uh, Because I didn't even know what all they had taken in the course since I hadn't been there. Although I came the last day, handed him my tessera, and he signed it for perfect attendance. I put it in my pocket and walked out. So I could prove, I had had documentation that I'd been there for perfect attendance. In fact, I hadn't been there at all. It was a, it was a Professor Pavlovsky that came in. I sat down in front of him. the exam's only 15 minutes. And it's anything in Old Testament history and I don't know what it's going to be. And I walked in and sat down. He looks at me blinks a couple of times, like, you know, I've never seen you before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Told him how much I love the course. <laughs> and he says, Senor Reardon? I said, "Utiqué." Yeah. "K lingua? What language you want for the course? I knew he didn't speak English. I said, uh, Latina? Bene. He looks at me, and he says, quid nam de demest de shishak. Have I told you this story? Quid nam de kendames de shishak. I closed my eyes. He thought I was thinking. I was praying. <laughs> my prayer was this. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has given an easy question to thy servant. <laughs> And I turned, I opened my eyes, and I explained to them, in Latin, that Chief shock was the founder of the 22nd Egyptian dynasty. And I started talking about all the things he had done, about his battles, I talked to, I, mean, I, I, I wanted this to be the last question I got in 15 minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: I told him stuff I was even just guessing at. But I managed to remember that the inscription of the, at the temple of Karnak was in Bustafidom, which means you write this way and then write this way, you know, the way the ox plows. Bustafidom. You
1: know,
0: we we read we read all this way or Hebrew the other way or Arabic the other way, but this is Bustafidom. And I explained all that. You know, he, he's asking me who is Shishak. Quid nomb dicendum What is to be said about Shishak? And I explained how Shishak invaded. The Holy Land, uh, how how Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, took took, he went he fled to Egypt. Remember that when we say it's all that's all there in Kings, uh, he flees to Egypt because he's in rebellion against against Solomon, and Solomon puts a a, a price on his head. So she, so, Jeroboam goes down and flees to Egypt, then after the death of the death of, uh, of Solomon, Jeroboam comes back to Israel, and they have this break where they, they break with, you know, they, at the break of of, uh, of um, 922, the, the break with, with the Southern Kingdom. And I'm, I'm explaining all this. And I talk about how in the in Shishak's in, in inscription, the first time Jerusalem ever appears in an inscription, or the name, and I'm going on about that. And I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to remember which color Shishak's head was. You know, and I, I didn't know. Because um, I'm waiting for this bell to ring. So, you know, somebody outside has had a little silver bell. And they're going to ring it. The bell's not ringing. I thought, oh God, what is he doing? And he, the, the meanwhile, Pavlovsky's looking at me, he's smiling benignly, like, "Like, I've aced that question. Then he he asked me about De Socru Ace. What's to be said about Ace's grandmother? Ace's grandmother. I had no idea what he was getting at. I was completely clueless about Ace's grandmother. And the bell rang.
1: <laughs>
0: I told him, he was right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> okay. Thank God he did not dock me for that. It, it, it only lasted just a few seconds. But it, it should have been pretty clear to him that I was clueless. <laughs> okay. But he did not dock me for it. I hope you study your medicine better than I did my theology. <laughs> okay. So, a nervous wreck, I left, went back, caught the, caught the, the subway, the, the Metropolitana, back home, got out, came into my room, grabbed the Bible, <laughs> and looked up Ace's grandmother. Okay. I thought, ah, ah, of course. She was a Phoenician and it was and she became the, she became the Gabira. We don't even know the name of Asa's mother because the grandmother took over and never let the mother so I, I read it I read it perfectly. If you read a book called Christ and His Saints. Daniel, where are you? Daniel's, Daniel's not here. Okay. This morning I gave Daniel a Romanian copy of Christ and His Saints. As far as I know, that's the only book of mine that's been translated into other languages, into Romanian. Uh, if, you have, if you read the book, Christ and Saints, there's a chapter in there called Asa and His Grandmother. <laughs> that 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 chapter came from the harrowing experience I had <laughs> at the Bible Institute on final exams. Uh, in the next couple of days, we uh, we finished the final exams, and I did okay. I think the last exam I had was on the Epistle to the Hebrews. And that night, I went with two Irishmen, I mean from Ireland, and we went out to... I'm starting to sound like Brett Kavanaugh, I'm afraid. (laughs) We went out to a very nice restaurant about a block east of the Trevi Fountain. And... We got this enormous thing of wine. I mean it was so big. It's, it sat in a it sat in a, in, a, in a tray like you know where you swivel it, you couldn't have you couldn't pour it. you, 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 you had to tip it, you follow and sitting in this little thing with tips and we got this great thing of wine and I thought we'll never go through it. I forgot these guys were Irish. Uh, and we sat there. It was half gone before our meal showed up, which was causing great euphoria <laughs> to the system. I found myself blessing and praising God, I mean, very spontaneously.
1: And
0: then we had our meal, and we finished that thing. And we ordered another bottle of wine? <laughs> Just a regular bottle of wine. And we finished that. By this time, it was about eleven thirty at night. We walked down to the Trevi Fountain, took off our shoes and socks. We sat down on the side of the Trevi Fountain, put our feet into the into the water, and we sat there for the next hour or so and sang Irish ballads. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, I have never been I have never been drunk intoxicated in my life but I would say that that night I was very happy <laughs> uh, I didn't plan to talk about that this morning a you yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: doctor you posed a question last week that I didn't give an adequate answer to and I've been thinking about about, about the, the voice in the Psalms you talk about the voice of David <clears throat> in Psalm 50 have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great goodness. So, and there's lots and lots of sermons of the fathers of the church about that. St. Ambrose has a whole treatise on Psalm 50 during the course of which he, he narrates the whole story of David. Uh, in fact, the, the, the treatise is called De Davide, on David. And it's really an exegesis of that psalm. And it's really quite lovely. Where do the fathers of the church get that idea? that that's it's David's psalm. It comes from the title of the psalm, which was given by the rabbi. Is there any reason to believe David did not write that psalm? <laughs> it appears to me there's conclusive evidence that he did not write that psalm. I, mean, I, I, believe that's, I, believe, I believe it's proper to read it that way, and the rabbis read it that way, and the fathers of the church read it that way, but it, it seems to me impossible that David could have written that psalm. But how, how does the psalm close? Then shalt thou rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then bullocks will again be altered upon that altar. The walls of Jerusalem were not, but that was not a problem. The walls of Jerusalem were not destroyed until until uh, 580, 587. That, that puts the psalm in a completely different context, doesn't it? That puts the psalm in the context of the Babylonian captivity. That's another way to read the psalm. There's all kinds of ways you can read the psalm. Obviously the fathers and the, and the rabbis read it a certain way. But it appears to me this one has a this has an historical cogency. So who's, who's praying that psalm? Israel's praying that psalm. Israel's in captivity. They want to be restored. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Comfort me with thy guiding spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Getting in. Then will thou, then the walls will, the walls of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Then we then you will accept bullocks upon your altar. Words, that psalm seems best understood in the time of Daniel. Where Daniel's turning toward and facing Jerusalem, remember, three times a day? Remember Daniel praying at third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour? He's keeping the, he's keeping the canonical hours. He's praying toward, He's praying there, and there are no sacrifices being offered there. You know, that's another way of, uh, of praying that particular psalm. But I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm deni- not denying that's a, 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 about David, about a valid way. And I suspect many of us pray that psalm without thinking of either David or Jesus. <laughs> Most, of it, I think, I think many of us simply think of praying about ourselves. Uh, I, when I prayed that psalm this morning, when did I pray that psalm this morning? Go ahead, Doctor. Right, before the procession. right, I come. I'm praying that psalm right before the great entrance. Right before the great entrance, the church puts that psalm on my lips. Have mercy on me, O oh God. And who am I praying it for? Me. Me. I'm about to do something very risky. I'm about to take the gifts and walk around with the gifts, bring them into the house of God, lay them on the altar, incense them, pray the, the, pray the anaphora or, over them. That's a very risky business. You know? Talking to God is dangerous. And I suspect some of you have experienced that, that talking to God is dangerous. Huh? Uh, you wonder why I tremble all the time? <laughs> okay. Any other questions? All right, now right, I've got you now. Let's get your text. This morning I want to talk about the Torah. More particularly, Torah piety and the Psalter. Look at the book. Look at the text from Deuteronomy, the last of the Mosaic books. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Okay, so you get blessing if you obey the commandments. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the way which I command you today to go after other gods, to wander after other gods which you have not known. That is a summary of Torah piety. There are two ways the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is called the path of God's commandments. The Hebrew word there is derek. D-E-R-E-K would be okay if felt it that word. D-E-R-E-K. And the equivalent in Greek, Joanne, the word for street in Greek. Very good. Hodos. Hodos, yeah you got it too, Hodos. I said, you see that on the, see that on the street signs. Walk through Athens or Thessaloniki, it's on the street signs. There's a word for street, Hodos. Okay. I suspect that every single automobile that you guys own has something on it called an odometer. The measuring of how far you've traveled. I suppose it should be HODOMETER, but since there isn't any H in Greek, they couldn't do it. Odometer. Okay. The word hodos is the word is used throughout the New Testament to refer to the Christian life. Just as in the Old Testament, the word, the word Derek or septuagint Hodos, is the word that's used to describe the light, the life of the devout Jew, which is keeping the commandments. The founder of our faith, when he Sent the disciples out to make disciples, apostles out to make disciples of all nations. He said, as you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them, at school, what? To observe Panta Tahosa, everything that I have commanded you. Text right out of Deuteronomy. Ponta Hossa. you keep all the commandments which the Lord your God commands you. Notice that's a view of the Christian life. What are you doing? You're keeping the commandments of Christ. It's the very opposite of uh, anomianism. I've been, I've, I've met many Christians seriously deceived, and going to be. And eventually you're going to be very surprised who think there are no commandments the Christian has to keep. I mean, I don't know how often I've, I've heard that. I, I remember giving wedding instructions at the Church of the Insurrection in in, in in Oklahoma City. There was a a young woman, it wasn't in our parish, but she was in another, in another, another Episcopal parish. She was getting ready to, to marry a Baptist and they were going to be married up in New England by another Episcopal priest but he called me and asked me to give them marriage instructions so they're they're two total strangers to me and I sat down with them and I asked the young lady where do you go to church and she names the parish, I don't remember what it was she names the parish where she attends I asked the fellow he's a Baptist where he attends church, he says I don't go to church you don't go to church no, he says that's, that's he says that's rule keeping. We've been freed from all that, you know. I've been I've been I've been justified by the blood of the Lamb. I've been freed from all that. I don't have to do anything like that. And I said, are you out of your mind? Many <laughs> he suggested I may be out of mind. Uh, I tried to tell him that Jesus talked about things that we actually have to do. He would have none of it. He says, I had this experience of salvation, and I'm saved, and there's no way that can be lost. I have full assurance of my salvation, and it doesn't make any difference how I live. He he told me that. I've had Since I had a course somewhere along the line of pastoral sensitivity, where I got a C minus, <laughs> I refrained from telling him, You are the stupidest son of a gun I've ever met in my life, which is exactly what I'm about. <laughs> And someday you're going to be in for a mammoth surprise. <laughs> but that, that, that was just so common. And anytime one, one would talk about keeping the commandments, I'd have people telling me you don't have to keep any commandments. That, that's the law. and We're not under the law anymore. We're under gospel. Right are under grace. It's the law. I mean, that is such a distorted view of, the, uh, of all the apostolic writings. But what does Jesus say we're supposed to teach? Teach them to observe all such things, Pontahosa. hosa, all such things as I have commanded you. Now, where does that question come from? Repeatedly in the book of Deuteronomy. Pontahosa. hosa. All such things as I have commanded you from the book of Deuteronomy. I put it down some texts here from Matthew, where Jesus says to enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the way, hodos, that leads to destruction. And many there be that enter therein. But narrow is the gate, and hard the way, which leads to life. And few they are that find it. You have got the two ways here. An idea right out of Deuteronomy. I, I, behold, I show you life and death. Choose life. You don't want to run and die. Choose life. Right? Last year, we took, in, in the Wednesday night class, we took the Didache. The Didache is a work probably from the first century. It appears to me it's from the first century, before the year 100. I won't explain to you now why I believe that's to be the case. Didache means teaching. The full title of the book is uh, He Dedicate Ton Dodeca Apostole, The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. The first half of the Didache, actually more than half, first nine chapters of the Didache, are the pre-baptismal catechesis the things you're taught before you get baptized the interesting thing is the stuff that we would teach them now before they join the Orthodox Church aren't even in there we would want to to make sure you knew how to, the right way to say say the sign of the cross you know when to bow, what icons should be kissed and when uh, and not that what we teach people? There's none of that in the dedicate. The Didache is, all right, you guys, no more fornication. <laughs> no more adultery. No more murder. you got to give up gambling. Drinking is out. All this stuff that we kind of hope we presume <laughs> that you have. The reason for that, I guess, is because we're bringing other Christians. You, know? you guys knew that You guys knew that for all before you ever approached the Orthodox Church. Didache is being given to pagans. They see that the Jews are living that lifestyle, but it would never occur to them to do that. In other words, most of the commandments you get are really from the Old Testament. And Jesus reaffirms them. It's not enough not to commit adultery. You must not even think it. It's not enough not to do murder. You must not even get angry. It's tougher. Uh, let me just read you a few lines from the dedication. so you can just check the vocabulary here. Just check the vocabulary. There are two ways. Okay, Right out of Deuteronomy, huh? There are two ways. One of life and one of death. That's your first chapter of the Didache. But a great difference between the two ways. The way of life, then, is this. Then he goes on to list the commandments of the Lord. And those, by the way, are taken from the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Of Matthew. Forsake in no way the commandment of the Lord, but you shall keep what you have received, neither adding thereto nor taking away therefrom. In the church you shall acknowledge your transgressions. There's your confession of sins, which we still require when you join the church. And you shall not come near for your prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of life. Chapter 5. And the way of death is this. Then he goes through list all those things that are forbidden. In the scriptures. Chapter 6. See that no one calls you to err in this way of the teaching. The hodos tis didekis. Since he teaches you. Since he teaches you apart from God. I think probably I've got to let you guys go. Because the sweet people are coming. Glory to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Now and ever. The God who is, who was, and is to come. The end of time. Amen.